the show starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, go. Talk about you. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to talk about him for a while. <laughs> yeah, without him here. It's just we can always do another one. We're uh, kind of free, and if you want to do finish up today, and then we'll do another one. But it's interesting. The question again, Grant, was um, like, please repeat it. Yeah, the, the, the idea of the shift, like we, we've sort of made the shift um, to talking about consciousness and uh, what's really going on and stuff like that. But sometimes I find that, and you've had a discussion about the value of a UFO photograph in terms of, um, is that still a big thing that sells it, that you just want to see something really weird on film? And, it, and, and that's the problem, I guess, we get in UFOs is if somebody's really good at CGI, then it's like, let's see if we can get people on this UFO thing and show something very, is the media still into that thing where that kind of stuff sells or even the, the evil alien stuff. I know there was a story of Chris Bledsoe where um, DeLong had offered him all this money, production money for his thing, but he wanted to put reptilians in at the end. And Chris said, no, no, we're not putting reptilians in here. And so that's the question. Well, we, we kind of experienced that a couple of years ago. We had a you know, Travel Channel came to us. They liked the fact we've been to many different countries. Um, they wrote us a nice letter. It was a really nice all the stuff, really amazing. You know, how do you feel about going more fear factor, scary, you know, doing this kind of thing? Rob and I felt instantly that's a sellout. You know, that's not the experience we're having. That's not what we're experiencing in the field. Um, we're not saying that people haven't had their own experiences yeah. and that way, go for it. But we personally, like when we post things on the channel, like on the YouTube, like the YouTube channel, the UFO World Explorer channel, um, I watch those analytics, you know, like what are people looking at and getting excited about when we post a video? And you're right, most of the time, if we posted one video with Ricardo Gonzalez, and a picture of Antarell, which you know of as well, Grant. Yeah. And um, 4,000 views, you know, which is a big hit on the channel, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you're posting a picture of an extraterrestrial and you're, you're, you're playing with the title. I mean, it's yeah. like, but it's at a level of clickbait, right? Where Antarell yeah. and that becomes a big thing. Where we'll post something else, a fantastic interview with, you know, someone talking about, you know, um, you know, doing full research on on, on, on other things or yeah. talk really big topics, and you get three or four hundred views. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. That 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 raises another quick question for you because Rob is big into the blindfold thing, which I think is one of the the more ignored um, subject. May wait for him to come back on here. Yeah, here he is. 
Okay. <laughs> okay, I've got a, I've got a question I'm I'm addressing to Mark, and you probably want to jump in on this. And this is to where where is the TV industry going? Where, uh, you know, we're talking about this thing where if it's very fearful or it's clickbait, you get a lot of hits, and if it's if it's not, then it, you don't. And one of the most fascinating things I when I lecture now, I say one of the three biggest things in the field now to understand what's going on is the blindfold thing. And I've been trying to encourage this idea. And that's the question is, where do you, are you going to go there with this thing? Because And I even tried to promote it. You saw I tried to promote with the Australians because they had these kids and they're all proud and they were all posing, but they look like street kids. I got, I got off the street and I said, they should have some uniforms. And then, uh, you know, they went, uh, uh, Leone went and got uniforms for them. And I said, this is like fascinating stuff where you could have Olympic teams around the world of these kids going, when you see them going through these obstacle courses and stuff. To me, that's the most fascinating thing in terms of learning that, man, we really don't know what's going on. If these kids are able to do this or whether you're able to do that. But again, is that going to go anywhere where people just go, okay, whatever, you know, and they, they just sort of ignore it and show me an evil alien or, you know, something like that. Yeah, well, let me address that, Grant. Um, it's true. You know, a lot of people are interested in this just from a sort of a party trick point of view. Yeah. And honestly, I'm getting a little bit tired of that. And so I decided that I'm not going to train anybody unless it's for a really good purpose. Like, for example, I really want to train somebody who's blind or is going blind, somebody okay. that can really, really use this and needs it. Yeah. Because what I'm finding is people that are interested in this, learning how to do it, unless there's a real deep motivation, especially the adults, they won't carry through with it. The yeah. kids no problem because they can turn it on so fast so quickly but you know you spend all this time with people and it's not an easy thing to get adults to learn it and then they decide no i don't want to do this any longer so and i'm not charging so uh it's it gets to be frustrating so i've decided that i only will teach somebody who's either blind or going blind and somebody who's had eyesight in the past so they know what it's like to see because if you try to teach a blind person that's never seen, that's many steps even harder again, because now you got to teach them what colors are, that whole concept of colors. So hold that one for the future. So two, they've either got to be blind or going blind. One, they've got to be blind or going blind. Two, they've got to have seen at some point in their life. So they are familiar with the concept of seeing. And three, motivated really motivated. Now, this lady I'm teaching right now, Claudia, she has a particular condition. Her eyes It's genetic, and she's gradually losing her eyesight. Uh, she has about that much eyesight. It's like tunnel vision right now, and it's been slowly closing in. And at some point in the next couple of years, it's going to close right to nothing. Yeah. So she's very motivated to learn so that by the time her regular eyesight disappears, she'll already have this eyesight those kind of people I'm really excited to teach because, you know, one thing there'll be a, a, um, a really nice fulfillment for me that I'm doing something that's very beneficial to help somebody who really needs it versus people who are just interested in doing it because they want to impress people at the next house party. Right. But nevertheless, anybody can learn this. And um, your question is, where is this all going? You know, for the average person, if they want to do this, I think that it does allow them to access deeper levels, uh, Grant. Now, whether it allows them to access the field, as you call it, I don't know. 
I know myself, you have to get yourself very, very relaxed for this and just let it happen. I mean, your mind sight will open up. It will open up spontaneously. Um, does that answer the question? Yeah, uh, two, two other little issues on that. And, and one talks ties into the contact modalities we were talking about. And that's the idea is that you have the right brain, left brain, and yes. you have the field. And it's the ability to shut the left brain down, to send it for coffee, uh, make it go to sleep, whatever. And that's why children are so much better at it because that left brain hasn't come online yet. And that, that's why it's so hard for adults to, to do it. And so you, you're, you were talking about the fact that IONS is, is kind of interested in this. So is there any potential that you might be able to film uh, tests at IONS where you're using the reputation where this is being done? Because you, you know what the complaint is. Oh, they're peaking, they're peaking. It's just, you know, this kind of stuff where if you get um, a, a, an institute like that, that is interested and sees the potential and sees what's really going on here. I mean, that would be a fascinating documentary in terms of uh, the research that's done there and the testing that's done. Yeah, and that's the reason why you've seen those couple of videos where we put up a uh, uh, opaque uh, blanket between myself and Wendy, for example, and I was holding up the cards, she got them because a lot of people especially if your, your uh, mind sight is like down here, yeah. as soon as you lift your head up, oh, they're looking under the mask. Yeah. Now, it's just coincidental. It's true for many people, their eyesight is down here and it looks like they're looking through. That's why we put the blanket up and it still works. Now, Dean at the Ions Institute is very interested in all this stuff. We've been invited to go out there and see him. We've said that we, you know, as adults doing this, we don't want to do it until we're bulletproof. Because, you know, these kind of, you know, some people may call it psychic things. They're very, um, how would I put it? They're not super strong. It is coming from your right brain. And the problem is if you get nervous or you're under yeah. pressure, it just shuts it right down. You've, you've got to be relaxed and you've got to do it enough so that you can do it on demand. And you got to believe that these scientists, although they're all very nice people, they're gonna put you under rigorous tests because they have to prove scientifically you're not cheating. And so I've talked to other people who've been tested for various different things and they've all said, be prepared to be just literally sweating and under super pressure with these guys because they're gonna to try to disprove it. They have to, they gotta to get to the meat of this thing. So we didn't wanna go out there until we're absolutely bulletproof. And we would start testing ourselves like having all kinds of distractions people touching us, people pushing us, people saying annoying things and really trying to get under your skin while you're trying to do it because that's what the scientists do. And if we can do it then and manifest it then and make it happen, then we will go out to see him. The last thing we want, Grant, is to be embarrassed or humiliated. Yeah. Even though we know we can do this, we don't want to go in front of a scientific group and then they walk away thinking that, okay, these are another group of hoaxers. And yeah. then they go and tell everybody that this is all BS, that it's not legit. So, you know, he really needs to get with children or there's, there's yeah. some adults that are pretty good at this that can, that can do it. Like that one guy with the Mohawk, you know. Yeah. Um, but the, the more, the more you use adults, the more you have the, the lack of success. I mean, the kids, it's almost like, that's why I thought the, like the human, the superhuman documentary mm. where she has these kids playing these games. I thought that was just so fascinating where they're, 
they're into it. They're, 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 they're active and they're competing against each other and they're all excited and stuff like that. And when you watch that, you go like, wow, that, and I think she probably got some pretty good hits from that documentary where yeah. if you turn it into fun, does, does, does Ions inst- understand the children aspect of it? That children are so much better at this? Well, I think he does. Um, you know, really it's the children that should be tested, but you know, many parents are yeah. very concerned and nervous about their kids going to a place to be scientifically yeah. tested. And, and I have to tell you too, Grant, that a lot of parents are concerned because of the nature of this ability that somehow their kid's gonna be dragged away by some uh, three-letter government yeah. <laughs> organization. So parents are a little bit concerned about that, yeah, that if their kids are demonstrating something that appears really super normal, that you know the um, the Pentagon is going to want this kid. I mean, every kid can do this, but the Pentagon doesn't know that. Um, yeah. So that, tie, that, that ties into you were going to ask. Um, we can get into the whole thing about the the whole report thing, and that's what I say. The whole story, everybody's missing the big story on the government thing that they're talking about. A tip, oh, a tip, this, a tip, that, these UFOs around the Nimitz and stuff like that. That's not the story. ATIP was only a small portion of the study. The study was the OSEP program. If you listen to Bigelow, he said the 22 million, the 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 whole ATIP thing was only a small little port. He don't he only talked to to Elizondo a couple of times. The main thing that they were studying was Skinwalker Ranch, where the guy had gone, the DIA scientist had gone to Skinwalker Ranch, and he sees this metal thing floating around it that only he can see, and it's right there in the, in in his view. And that's why they go there and they start looking at how do you put bulls in a trailer? How do you make things disappear and reappear? And how do you, how do you make portals appear? How, all this kind of stuff. And it was the whole paranormal aspect that they were studying. And that's where the money went. The ATIP was only a small little portion of the thing. And so the government realizes that there is this potential. The problem with it is, is that they may turn it around as they did in Canada. Because if you know that the Canadians in, in 1950 Wilbur Smith, who ran the Canadian Government Flying Saucer Program, wrote a top secret memo in November of 1950, in which he said, flying saucers exist. And he was told by American officials, flying saucers exist. It's the most highly classified subject in the United States. There's a small group headed by Dr. Vannevar Bush. It's of tremendous significance to the Americans. And we were also told by American officials that other things might be associated with the flying saucers, such as mental phenomena. The Americans aren't doing very well because they said if we're if we're, will, if we're working on it, they're willing to exchange credentials and talk to us. One of the people in that memo was a guy by the name of, out of Toronto, Dr. Oman Salant. His papers are at the University of Toronto, and I'm going to, or at, at, at Toronto, I'm going to go look at them. Um, um, nine months after that memo was written, Salant was the, de, the, the, the defense guy on the flying saucer study. Nine, ten months later, in Montreal, they have a meeting at the hotel in Montreal, and they start MKUltra the whole deal. And Salant was in the meeting. So this is the whole thing where the, the government realizes, but they're looking at it as military potential. How can we get in people's heads? How can we do this kind of stuff? And have turned the whole thing around. But I think that's the big story that was missing. You heard about this 495 page report. Where'd this 400? That's probably what the report is about. It's about Skinwalker Ranch, all the stuff they discovered because they were looking at paranormal. They weren't looking at UFO stuff. There was very few UFOs at Skinwalker Ranch. Okay, Grant. So, you know, we've got the unclassified report that's been released. So you think that the classified report, a lot of it will be about the Skinwalker Ranch? 
No, I think I think that this is all a diversion. It's it's it was done by by um, the uh, um, Tom DeLong. They were pushing the whole story of UFOs, UFO disclosure, and um, so they, they were they're just looking at the same thing because Lou Elizondo said it was Title Ten, and he was running the ATIP program. They were not allowed to talk to civilians. There was this whole thing about did they talk to Chris Bletzel before 2017, and it appeared they didn't because the whole deal is you can't talk to civilians. You can only deal with military. So they're dealing with military sightings, and this whole thing is just it's in front of the Armed Services Committee. Therefore, it's got to do with arms. It's them trying to get money to research UFOs. And the only people who've got the money is the intelligence and the armed services committee because they're going to turn it into weapons. But the whole other part has been missed. This whole idea of what happened at Skinwalker Ranch. What did they discover? Lou Elizondo wasn't at Skinwalker Ranch. It had nothing to do with Skinwalker Ranch. That's a whole nother aspect. So you're taking this little thing and you're moving people down this side road on the UFO subject when in fact the, the big thing is uh, you know, the portals, the, you know, the appearing and the disappearing and, and the study that I even point out that um, uh, Jimmy Church actually picked up on it. And then I don't know where he went with it. But I said, if you actually look at, at Peniston's book, uh, Peniston has a, an encounter with Kit Green, who was the control officer for the remote viewing program. And he comes and he's one, they're doing this study. You remember the study they're doing? They're looking at the MRI of, of, of people who are experiencers looking at their DNA why are they different from other people? How are they able to get the signal and this sort of stuff? And they go to Peniston because they got Burroughs DNA in his MRI. And Peniston says, hey, I'm not Burroughs. I'm not going to roll over like Burroughs. I want to know what the hell are you up to? What are you doing? And Kit Green admits that he's running a defense program. Him and eight other people are running a program for the Defense Department with government money. And Bigelow is running the contract. And they're looking at UFO experiencers. And that's the whole deal is they've, they've realized past the UFO thing, how do they, and he said to uh, Peniston, he said, we're trying to figure out how does the phenomena pop in and pop out just as quickly. So they understand some of the stuff. And he even talked about this manifestation thing we talked about, that Kit Green says, we realize that people, two people can be in the same spot at the same time. And they will see two different things based upon their belief system. That's coming from this defense study. They know this kind of stuff. And that's where I say the, the classified part is not so much uh, UFOs exist or whatever, who cares? It's this whole idea about how do you, like the big one at Skinwalker Ranch, if you've seen what they call slide nine, it was used to brief the, in, the intelligence committee. And this is the one they used to say, oh, this is the, these aliens, they're just horrible aliens. And they, they go, they're able to go through metal. That story is the Skinwalker Ranch when they put the four bulls inside the trailer. And the guy goes out and he says, where's my bulls, where's my bulls? And he looks at this locked trailer and goes, wonder if they're in the lock trailer. He undoes, the, the thing hasn't been open for years. It opens the lock and the bulls are in the trailer. That's what they want to figure out. How do you put a bull inside a trailer and or this thing about getting into people's heads? If you look at that slide nine, you'll see all that stuff came from Skinwalker Ranch, but they used it to scare the living daylights out of the out of the, the Congress people to say, if the Russians get this and they are able to put bulls inside trailers and get inside people's heads, we're in big trouble. And that's where they're they're scaring people but that's all Skinwalker Ranch, which was this paranormal stuff that you and I are in. And the UFO thing I maintain is just a small little portion that uh, they're using because they, they tried to sell it with um, with national security type stuff. They tried to sell it 
or before they would use airline traffic as a threat to airline traffic and nobody believed it. So you have to have a threat, otherwise you're not gonna get any money. And that's why they're, they're pushing this thing about it's a threat to our military or it might be the Chinese and stuff like that. But the big story I say is the Skinwalker Ranch stuff, the paranormal stuff that you and I and everybody knows is part of contact modalities. It's not just UFOs. Every UFO person has got, they can't touch electronic equipment, they can't wear watches, same as near-death experience. They have poltergeist. They have premonitions, all this kind of stuff. It all comes together. It's all the same thing. The intelligence committee knows that. And that's the important part that they're trying to do. But they're not going to release it. Even if you talked about the, the report, even the report, it was now we're hearing 400 pages, according to Danny Sheehan. 400 pages was the classified report. There were six pages released, which is 1.5% of the report. What do we know now that we didn't know before? We know absolutely nothing more. All we know now is that the Congress was briefed on this thing and they're not telling us what's going on either. We still don't know anything about what they've discovered. Yeah, let me ask you this, Grant. If there is an intelligence behind the Skinwalker Ranch, you know, potentially ETs, but some kind of intelligence, and it's potentially benevolent, you know, and they know that the people associated with Skinwalker Ranch want to potentially, potentially militarize all this, as an intelligence, why would it cooperate? You know, I mean, would you give your kids loaded machine guns knowing that they could go and hurt themselves? Would okay, you? But but they, but they didn't, they didn't cooperate. They, they're, they're, they're playing, to me, it's called the theory of wow, where they're doing these really weird things where they're, if you look at the Skinwalker um, story, like the bulls are all uh, stampeding and then they go, oh, look at the magnetic field is, is increasing, it's doubling or whatever. Well, it doesn't double all the time. It's just saying, hey, watch this. And the bulls go and that was where the cow got mutilated and stuff like that. So they're playing the game. But when you see what happened, and I even quoted this if, um, a number of times on my Facebook page, this whole thing about, uh, about projection where Bob Bigelow said, um, uh, George Knapp said those that were the most aggressive to the phenomena on Skinwalker Ranch had the worst experiences. And when they asked Bob Bigelow, what was this all about? What was the what was this whole thing about? He said it was all messaging. It was all gaming and messaging. That was it was giving us messages. And so when you see the the, the guys go on there, you see the, the 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 thing that they really play as this potential evil thing is the, Bob Bigelow said in the interview. You've seen the interview he did with George Knapp. He said. When I saw what they did to the government guys, I knew it was time to sell the ranch. And what happened was these military guys, special forces guys went in there and it's like, we're special forces guys. We're gonna trap this thing. We're gonna take it down, man. And they're walking down, they're all armed and stuff like that. And then suddenly the voices in their head and it said, leave, you are not welcome. And these guys went home and it was, they could, they said, oh, horrible skin, this uh, hitchhiker effect. Well, everybody has a hitchhiker effect. When you have the UFO, that it, it, it attaches itself to you. It's part of, you're manifesting it. It's not that it's following you home. You're the guy that's manifesting it. And they talked about these government guys that were there and these wine bottles were flying through the room and smashing on walls and all their roommates moved out. And they said, these guys are still terrified. The last interview I heard, these government guys are still so terrified they will not go on the ranch. And this is the whole idea where, that you, you even get into this idea of who's actually running the show where Jim Semivan says they've always been here. Uh, they, they created us and they talk in symbols or where they, they basically are saying, this is our ranch. We were here first, leave. 
you're not welcome. And this is this whole idea where we think it's our airspace. They're in our airspace. They're in our, no, no, no. They were here first. It's their airspace. And that's what Jim Semivan said when, Jim, when John Alexander said, so, so who's running the thing? And he's referring to the government. And Jim Semivan said, they are. They're in charge. Right. And I, okay. but they will drop these little hints that move you down the road. But that's why they're shutting down the nuclear weapons. That's why they're doing all this kind of stuff. They're basically showing us that they are running the show and the government is trying to figure out. I don't think they've really discovered that much material because the, the intelligence is so much farther ahead. Or if you look at the, the Nimitz thing, why would it drop from 29, from 80,000 feet down to sea level in seven eighths of a second? And I point out the fact that in Charlie Red Star, we've got exactly the same thing going the other way. That's how I got involved. CKY TV here in Winnipeg filmed this thing jumping from the ground to 5,000 feet in the air from one of the reports I heard, and they caught it on film. It goes in three frames of film from the bottom to the top. There's the camera's eight and a quarter miles away, and it moves in three frames of film, 5,000 feet from ground level, sitting on the ground to 5,000 feet in one eighth of a second. And so it's this idea where it's showing off, but it's still very much, I think, in control that we, we, we play like we were going to take it down and we're so smart or whatever, but. Okay. So then if the people that are associated with the ranch, Skinwalker Ranch, if yeah. they're, you know, they run away with their dog, their tail between their legs scared because ultimately they're going to use this stuff for nefarious purposes. What happens to all the people that have been associated with Skinwalker Ranch that are actually there for a good purpose, a benevolent purpose? Are they having opposite uh, experiences, Grant? Yeah. It, you, you'll hear Brand, uh, um, Brandon, what's his last name, Dusta? Pugel? Pugel? Pugel, yeah. Br Brandon Pugel owns the ranch now. If you listen to the interview, he talks about exactly the same thing. He says his brother is a pilot. He flies them in there on the, the helicopter and stuff like that. And they pray every time they go in because he's a big Mormon guy. And he talks about this effect, this idea that it's, a ref it's reflective of the attitude. And that the people who have the, the bad experiences are, are reflective of their attitude towards this thing. So he warns these people. He says, you've got to have the right attitude and they're doing praying and stuff like this. He still believes there's good forces and bad forces, but he basically will say, he calls it reflective. It's reflective of the attitude of the peoples that go in there. And I guess that's why, you know, Mark and I, you know, we've been at this for six years in 14 countries. We've had nothing but good experiences. Yeah. Because we're not we're not interested in getting associated with any negativity or dark side of stuff. We're only interested in benevolent good things. So, you know, people have criticized this a little bit and said, well, don't you want to explore the negative dark side? Well, for one thing, no, I don't want to explore that <laughs> because maybe it's going to attract it to us. You know, it's like my dad always pointed out which side of town is the bad side and you stay away from that. Don't even go and get involved. You just stay away from it. And I've taken that lesson and applying it to this. I, I'm only interested in getting involved with positive, benevolent things that are good for us, Grant. Yeah, I, one of the interviews I was going to do is one with, because um, people always talk about the cattle mutilations as being a very sort of negative thing. And uh, David Perkins has agreed to an interview. We haven't pulled it off yet, but um, he has a, a chart that he was keeping. He's got the biggest think, collection of cattle mutilations sightings in the world he started he just got showed linda how what to do and let her copy all the files and stuff like that and he has this whole thing about nuclear nuclear contamination that he said it's all downwind and downstream from nuclear power activities and so the way i look at it is it's reflective it's like your body 
and we we have this we want to have this idea where there's a separation there's me and then there's this phenomenon out there good phenomena bad phenomena and no it's all the same thing so we we have this sort of reflective thing and to me it's like it's all one thing and when something pops up it's like suddenly you get a boil on your back is that an evil spirit that did that and it's like no something something <laughs> has gone wrong and that's the, his idea behind the cattle mutilation is that it's 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 ref, it's reflective of gaia so Gaia is working, and when something goes wrong in Gaia, these things start happening because nobody's ever been caught doing a cattle mutilation. Nobody's, and, and the whole thing is maybe it's just happening. This is an effect of Gaia doing this, where it it, it pops up almost like you know how cells in the body will cure a cut. It'll all go together and cure the cut. So they're doing that kind of stuff. But you have this sort of thing where when something goes wrong, a boil will appear or a disease will appear or something like that where everything's out of balance. And that was David Perkins. And he's been working on it since the 1970s. He's got this huge cattle catalog of this thing about the reflect uh, the reflective nature of the cattle mutilation, where he said, you, uh, at one point, I think he even said that you could take all the cancer rates, high rent cancer rates in the Western United States, put them down, and they were exactly where the cattle mutilations were taking place. And it was this idea where the nuclear weapons, it's not happening out of a random thing. Nothing is really happening random. It's all um, all one thing. And then when something happens, there's an anomaly. And if you figure out what the anomaly is, you'll figure out a new law about we're doing this wrong, we're doing that wrong, or we need to learn this or whatever. Everything's reflective. Everything's part of the same thing, which is my the contact modality idea. It's all one thing. It's like when when Jan Hartson asked Ben Rich, Ben, how did they get here? How, do, how does the propulsion system, how do they fly here? And he said, let me ask you a question. What do you know about ESP? And they said, means everything in time and space is connected. And he said, that's how it works. And, and the other thing that I pointed out, and that was in Politico from uh, Brian Bender from Politico, actually wrote this and nobody's picking up on this. He said the Defense Department, I think it's the same study that Kit Green is working for. The Defense Department did a study on the interdimensionality of the phenomena, that the phenomena is here. It's just a different here. They're not coming from anywhere. And you see, if you go into the literature, Desta will know this literature, this whole idea that no, it may be like a simulated universe where it's all one thing. There is no time, there is no space. We're making all these false assumptions about things and we have not, not got a clue. And that's why it's so important for you and I, Desta and everybody and Mark to work on the anomalies because the anomalies are telling you one of the puzzle pieces you've got is from a different puzzle. You got the wrong puzzle piece. It doesn't fit in here. And and we we may, we want to have because we're egotistical. We want you know me and I in every single sentence that we say. We want to believe that we have every single piece of the thing, and we're just waiting for one little piece to to come to us, and then we've got the whole puzzle. And and what I've been told is no, it's exactly the opposite. You you haven't got a clue. You, all your puzzle pieces are wrong. You, you have no clue what you're doing. And and the more the more you go along, the more you realize. That we've got it all wrong. I mean, like the, the famous story of uh, Max Planck, who invented the atom, who said there is no material as such, and and he was told 1874 by his advisor at university, don't go into physics. All the laws have been discovered, and the question is, like the laws of physics, like who turned them into laws? Did somebody come down from a mountain with a with them ch chiseled into his stones? We turned them into laws, like like religious laws. And we say these are the laws of physics, and they're all right. And we've got it all figured out. And Max Planck, he was told, "Don't go into physics. We've got it all figured out." Or Lord Kelvin, at the end of the the 19th century, said, "We've got it all figured out. We just got to take physics to the six decimal places." And that's the kind of arrogance we have that we have to follow the anomalies because they're telling us, no, you haven't got it figured out. You, you haven't got a clue because this would not be happening. If, if you were right, this would not be happening. 
Well, the anomalies are like glitch in the software, that's for sure. Let me, uh, let me get back to your book. Um, yeah. Are you guys working on another book together? And if so, where is it going? What is the book? Where is it going? Do you want to be, answer that one, Desta? <laughs> we write, well, Brian writes books every day. Go ahead. You go ahead and answer it, Desta. I just spent 12 hours yesterday going through, we've written, um, Grant's written two books. We've republished two, three books since then, since Contact Modalities, and there's the other one, the Triangle one coming out possibly tomorrow or the next day. So, um, yeah, Grant writes books every single solitary day. And I just proof them and edit them and try putting them together and publishing them. But I'm here, I'll take them because I literally have them right here. We can't keep up to you guys. <laughs> we have nothing Grant, else to do. And then Grant can talk about them maybe for a second, but I was-, I yeah, was but see, I, I just... yeah, this is the portal book. That was, that's an important one. And we did this, this <laughs> yeah, the portal one. That was the important one where I got the message from the alien from Antirel and went there and had this experience that shifted me to say, these guys know, these guys are doing something here. And, and now I have a different opinion. I was even working on this this morning with, with the Antirel thing, because Antirel, they, they go to Ganymede. And I was looking this morning at Ganymede and it's like 197 below. And if you know what it's like, it's at 55 below your skin freezes in one second. And so the idea like 1895, they said they were from Mars. Are they from Mars? Are, are the uh, the Antarell of these guys, are they coming from Ganymede? Uh, the Canadian, we're doing the Canadian book that we're just finishing off on the Canadian government. The Canadian government was dealing with an alien by the name of AFA, who the CIA channeled at the National Photographic Interpretation Center. This is a, a, an official record they channeled as being. Uh, um, uh, AFA said he came from Uranus, which is uh, 297 degrees below zero with 90 to 360 degree winds. And, and AFA said there was 750 million people living on Uranus. So the idea is like, is that true? No, it's not true. They're playing on our thing. They're going into your head as, as um, Barbara Streisand's stepson told us. He said the aliens told him, when we come into your world, we go into your head and we figure out what's in your head and we use what's ever in your head to teach you a lesson. We have no other choice. They can only talk to you at the level you're at. So they use stuff that you believe to teach you lessons. And everybody says, well, they're lying. Well, they are sort of lying, but they are tapping into to your thing. So we've done this, the Canadian government book, which um, I, I have the advantage where I can just sort of write the book and then Desta, um, oh, this is the, the, uh, the, the Area 51. Oh, sorry. So that the the, Wil, the Wilbert Smith book hasn't come out yet, but this is the other one that just that was uh, revised because this is the one Grant had on uh, Richard Dolan's label. Yeah, that's the first one that talked about Area 51. That's the book that George Knapp said was the most accurate version he'd seen of Area 51 as to what he thinks happened with Bob Lazar, what that whole story was about. And we've updated some chapters, like for example, I don't know if you know, uh, I think I only brought it up recently. We revised Alien Bedtime Stories. I put in a Trump chapter. I put in a Biden chapter and I put in a chapter on uh, Lyndon Johnson. Like people say the president doesn't know what's going on. Baloney. We, I recovered the files of an eyes only study for President Johnson. And, and it, was done, it was forced by James McDonald, who was the big UFO researcher for, at the University of Arizona at the time. And uh, they did a, a study. It had all the same people Tom DeLong had, the same category. So Tom DeLong had Robert Weiss from Lockheed Skunk Works. This study had um, 
Kelly Johnson from Lockheed Skunk Works, the same position. He had the head of NRO. Tom DeLong's got a guy from NRO. Uh, the big guy, UFO guy at the, at the CIA. Semi Van was involved. And they had Art Lundahl, who was the first guy to brief the president on UFOs. And what that study had, we had the, the guy who was doing a, doc, um, a manuscript on the study that was done for President Johnson. It was nine months long, involving eight people, high level, four, three-star general, people like that. And at the end, they discovered exactly what the government is saying right now. Yes, UFOs exist. Yes, they are solid crafts. And we haven't got a clue where they're coming from. And that's what people say. They're, they're obviously, they're lying. It's obviously ET. And I'm going, really? I mean, there's a thing to have a passport. Do you, does that have a Zeta particular passport? If you've got, and they do have bodies and they do have crafts, but how do you know where they're coming from? It's like in a port, like in a, in a seance, it pops in. That doesn't mean it's coming from Zeta Reticuli. It's, you just have a physical thing. It comes into the physical world. It becomes physical. And as Kit Green says, it pops in and it pops back out. The same as, as, as we do contact modalities where we do physical mediumship and mediumship where beings come in, they become physical in a, in a seance and then they go back. So we did the, um, the book on um, the Canadian government. We did a book on, on uh, psilocybin, which is one of the contact modalities I've used. And we went through that thing. And um, uh, that was, I got some pretty interesting stuff out of that. And what was the other book? Oh, we're doing the triangle book. So we had, we did a thing on, on triangles and I didn't realize I'd had a triangle sighting in 1976. And that was the book I wrote, I think in two and a half weeks, we just did a bunch of panels. And I realized that some of the top people, especially reporters like Billy Cox, Florida Today, the Deborah the thing, uh, Lee Spiegel. Uh, there's a third big reporter. Oh, the guy from New York Post, uh, Green Street. All these guys had these giant triangle sightings and you start to see these patterns. So we put this book together on triangles. And that's why I'm so interested in this, this guy, this, these, these guys that George Knapp interviewed, where he has this triangle appear out of this, this little craft where the UFO sightings used to be like wooden ships. Then they were little Foo Fighter balls on the edges of the plane. Then they were Adamski crafts with balls hanging off the bottom. Then they were saucers. Now they're triangles. And you see the phenomena is changing as we go along. And it's almost like it's, it's trying to make it weird. It's trying to make it like a trickster thing where you can't figure it out. It just makes you go, what is going on here? And you're everybody's studying and trying to figure out. And they realize we're not alone. We don't have all the answers. That's what I firmly believe is at the bottom of this thing. They're not doing anything except making you scratch your head and trying to figure out how does the world actually work? Because if they come into here and say, this is how the world works. We're here to bring you freedom and democracy, Jesus and McDonald's. Everybody's going to point a gun at them and tell them to get lost. That's not how you do it. That's not how you change culture. You get the people inside the culture to make the decision themselves as to what's going on. I came up with the idea. Then it's, it settles. If somebody comes in and gives you an idea from the outside, it's going to be rejected. Okay, so they're spoon feeding us a little bit, but letting everybody sort of come up with the answers themselves. Yeah. But it's almost like they're kind of in control of the whole thing from a distance. Would you or, say? or again, it comes down to this manifesting thing where we talked about George now, or are we doing it? How much are we? Because we always have to say there's them and there's us. But when you look at, at the idea of quantum physics, it's what John Wheeler, the guy at Princeton, uh, said John Wheeler said it's a participatory universe and this is this idea that we are part of what we're seeing the observe the the whole uh, the whole thing about uh, the Copenhagen interpretation nothing turns into a matter until there's an observer until then it's in a quantum potential state that there is no physical world it's all a quantum soup and Desta can talk because she had was blown away by reading 
Michael Talbot's book and just drove her nuts about this idea that it's just this quantum soup and there's really nothing there and it goes through your head. And that's the whole idea that's so important about the blindfold is people forget that whatever you see is in your head, that you're, you think you're looking out through your eyeballs and getting this stuff. Where is the image taking place? And that's why the blindfold is so important because it says it's not in your head the way you think it is. It does, eyesight does not work that way. And that's where the, the anomalies where I say it's so important to have the, the blindfolds or the, the where people say you can hear better, where blind deaf people can hear. When you see that, you realize if we can figure out this anomaly, we can figure out how does consciousness actually work? Because we just assume all you see through your eyes and it goes in and it sends signals and then the brain makes this signal. Baloney, where the more you look at the blindfolds, the more you realize you haven't got a clue what's going on. And that's why it's so important. And it just frustrates me when the people just sort of, they, they don't take the blindfold thing seriously. I said, this is one of the most important things I've ever seen. It's reproducible and it is showing you, you are absolutely out, out to lunch as, as, in thinking you know what's going on. It's not what you think it is. It shows you clearly it's something different. Well, Grant, how do you know that them is not us? Well, that's the whole thing. That's where we, we have to leave open to the fact that that and the and the beings will tell you that from time to time. We are you, you are us. We are we are all one. Or um, uh, what's his name? He wrote the Children of the Greys. He said to the Greys, he said, "Let me ask you a question. What's your concept of God?" And then the tall gray said, "We are one with the one who is all." And you hear this over. And Desta will say, Desta even tells this story about when she's when she's channeling because she can she can type while she's not really not thinking. She's typing, and she always has to put capital O. Oneness, 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 oneness. That is the thing. It's the thing. It's all one thing. That's what Ray Hernandez was told. You got to quit parsing this stuff. You got to say, quit saying them and me and, and, or people would, I'd have experiencers who'd say, what are you lumping me in with the channelers? I'm not a channeler. They're full of it, man. Don't put me in with the channelers. And everybody believes they're, it's like we're turning it into different religions where it's the, the, the remote viewer people are right or the channelers are right and, and this sort of stuff. And when you come down to the world, if there's no time and there's no space and everything is one, then it's just one thing. There's uh, almost like John Wheeler and one of the other Nobel Prize guys said, there's only one electron. When you start looking at that thing, that there's only one electron in the universe and this uh, concept that, that it's all just one little tiny thing that they're not coming from anywhere or that when you have a near-death experience, you are, not go you, you are not going out there, an out-of-body experience, you're not going out there. You're going within yourself. It's all vibration. And that's when I did the this, this psychedelic stuff is you realize this vibration is a very important thing. You know exactly when something's going to happen because the vibration changes. Suddenly you're vibrating or people who have the, the abduction experience will say, my, my body was frozen and I, I could feel this vibration. And it, are you being moved somewhere or is it all happening here? And this is this big question that I'm raising now that people get very upset about. Are abductions actually people being taken onto ships or are they uh, events that are happening in consciousness? Because we have, we, we do, Desta and I do a joint broadcast with, with a guy by the name of Chase, Chase Williams. He's an AI guy and he's fascinated with the consciousness and he does the DMT thing. And I remember him telling me the one time he said, I had the one, he said, it was a classic abduction experience. I said, really? You had a classic abduction? And he said, yeah, I'm on a table. They're working on my head. They're doing something. I can't see the beings. I can see their arms and stuff. I said, was it real? He said, it's as real as real. I mean, absolutely. And you hear that and you start saying, 
what is really going on here? Are people actually going anywhere? Because nobody ever sees anybody getting abducted. And then you have this, this situation where they're in a matrix where there's no time, there's no space and stuff like that. And you start to wonder, is it just a, a vibration where they're taking you into this thing? And people say, there's physical evidence. But again, you go back to 1895, there's physical evidence too. There's wooden ships flying around, but just because you got physical evidence doesn't mean that it's what you think it is. We're making these false assumptions. The world is flat. The sun goes around the earth. I can measure it. I can see it. it it's pattern. It will do the same thing every day. I can predict it. That means nothing. You got to realize that there's probably stuff beyond what we actually believe is going on that when a hundred years from now, we're not going to believe anything we believe right now. We're going to realize like we're like totally like, I believe we believe that stuff. And that's been the pattern of, of science is that we always think we've got to figure it out. And at the end, that's why you've got to follow the anomalies because the anomalies will lead you to the next step. I like that, Grant. And Desta, we've talked about a lot of stuff here today. Grant <laughs> is never at a loss of words or ideas. <laughs> Very creative guy. Love that. Love that. Absolutely love that. With all the stuff you've heard, I'm sure there's a few things that have popped up. Is there anything you'd like to share before we wrap up the interview? I want to say <clears throat> two quick things. Um, well, Grant, I never even thought of that. And I don't know who this Perkins guy is, but the uh, I didn't realize that the cancer, there was like certain, like a lot of the cancer rates were downstream where the cattle mutilations are as well. And that made me think that two things. First of all, I wonder if it's like, you know, Steve Mara's map where it's the, um, the magnetics map. So where the positive, uh, you know, um, the anomalies, the positive magnetic anomalies or negative magnetic anomalies. So I'm gonna check that out because I didn't realize that. But it also makes me think about the simulation theory about this being a simulation is I wonder if that's just part of the simulation is these specific parts. So wherever it is where the catamulations and the cancer rates were increased were either in the negative uh, magnetic anomaly parts of the map or if that's like what Tom Campbell <clears throat> would say for, for a reason behind it being a simulation is that that's part of the video game. Like the virtual reality just says like, if you live in these places, weird stuff is going to happen, whether it's the cattle mutilations or high cancer rates or whatever, again, and back to the theory of, wow, if it's just something that you're going to, humans are going to take forever, you know, a cer certain number of time before they finally figure out that there's some places in the world um, like geomagnetically or whatever that are going to have positive attributes to the people and there's going to be more paranormal activities or negative attributes where there's going to be more cancer rates or cattle mutilations or whatever. So that's really interesting. And the other thing just that Grant said about, um, oh, it was making me think, oh, that they're kind of lying, that that when the when the phenomenon like um, like Bashar, I had this quote in one of my books because um, I because it really wrapped everything up for me too is that Bashar was asked a question, Bashar, the, the being that's channeled by Daryl Anka, was asked one time, um, you know, if, if some of these, con like someone was asking about um, the Melchizedek Society or something like that, and like, are these being, the, the, this group of people or whatever, um, or group of beings that are claiming to be from the Melchizedek Society, are they really from there like are these beings really from Ganymede or Venus or, or whatever and and Bashar actually said like Grant is saying Bashar actually said like no they're not hence <laughs> but they're not lying to you by claiming to be from what you think is the Melchizedek society but your understanding of what not just the Melchizedek society but everything is so off of everything that these beings have to look inside your head 
So when these people are are saying to the, this group of beings, I don't know if they were if they were trying to connect with them or channel beings, these Melchizedek society or whatever it was, but he's saying they look in your head, try and figure out what what the basis of your question is, and then they respond because they're trying to make contact with you, but you are so wrong at the question that they say, yeah, okay, we are, but they're not, and they know they're lying, but they're not lying, lying, like they're negative and they're, they're trying to pull off a lie. They're just like trying to say like, you don't know what you're talking about, but kind of the vibe behind what you're asking is kind of the vibe that we are. So it kind of joins up. So it's kind of the truth. So let's just say, yes, we are that. But okay. it's, well, it's kind of like a parent's uh, talking to their yes. Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So everything could be a lie and, and they all could be lying to us, but it's like, we're so far away of the proper understanding. They're just trying to like connect and, and, and yeah. have a conversation with us. So they're trying to be like, oh my God, you guys don't have any clue, but yeah, yeah, okay, let's, we're kind of like that, sure, sure, you could call us, yeah, Santa Claus, <laughs> sure. I even had the one with the, what they call the beings from London, where they, they wanted to interview with me, and because I'd done three books on messages from aliens, I figured, oh, I love, and they, and they basically said, um, we have been here, almost like the Skinwalker Ranch, we have been here, we're all, we've always been here, they said to me, you are the visitor, and then they said, if, if you, if you want to do the alien thing, we, we can, we can do the alien thing. We could take you our planet and do all that kind of stuff, but we've been here all the time. They actually said, that. you want to play the alien thing? Yeah, we can take you to our planet. <laughs> Mark, is there anything else you want to cover before we, uh, I guess we're going to maybe move on and Grant's going to ask us some questions or. Mike is, you know, Desta, your take on the Pentagon report, what have you been hearing? Anything, any extra info? I'm certainly not any kind of expert on any of that stuff. I, I, um, no, I don't have anything to add. I, I will add one thing that, that just came up. Um, we, I was just um, watching a, 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 a lecture given by George Hansen, who um, came up with the trickster book. And he's a very interesting guy. I've met him a number of times. And he was doing the thing, and he came up with the same idea that I had, that the, the report actually started back in 2015. The Tom DeLonge thing is where this thing started. No matter what anybody wants. And it was Hillary Clinton and, and John Podesta that were behind this thing. And people don't like it because they don't like Hillary Clinton or whatever. And uh, he brought up a document. And I don't know if you remember back in a day when John Podesta's emails got leaked to WikiLeaks. And there was all this correspondence and uh, with these high level government officials and they were going to do this disclosure thing, whatever. He brought up a document, which had just floored me because I went, oh, I, I did a couple lectures on these WikiLeaks documents. I had seen this document and it was one from Leslie Kane writing to John Podesta, to John Podesta's secretary. And she says, I've, I've been offered an article with a reporter at the New York Times. This is 2015. And um, she, he said, I, I would like to know with John, if I can get permission from John to, to work on this article. And it was gonna be, it wasn't the, the article that eventually came out. It was, it was gonna be just on stuff that we knew, but it was on disclosure, pushing disclosure. And then the secretary writes to John Podesta and says, I think it's, it's Blumenthal or it's somebody else. And so you see this idea where Hillary, or where Leslie Kane is getting permission from John Podesta in 2015 to write articles in the New York Times about UFOs. And then you start to see like, oh, this has all been un unraveled 
And Chris Bledsoe told me in 2016, he said, clearly, he said, I will tell you, high level officials are going to come public. They're going to say UFOs are exist and there's going to, they're going to force disclosure. And, that, and then Lozano came forward, Mellon came forward, uh, Justice came forward, and uh, Jim Semivan came forward. And they all said UFOs exist and they forced disclosure. So that's sort of a background story that I just discovered with this Leslie Kane thing, where I always sort of rumored that Leslie Kane was was working with John Podesta and Hillary Clinton, and I think Nick Pope was involved and stuff like that. But when I saw this document, I went like, wow, <laughs> she's actually asking John Podesta for permission to do this. So uh, the, the report is a little more complex than people think. And that's where people fall into these stories, that it's so easy to lead people down a path where they're, the thing about this is about UFOs, and it's about you know attacking the Nimitz and stuff like that. And what about this? What about that? And just don't, don't bother me with that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've got my story here. And uh, people are uh, so overwhelmed with information and so easily move to one story that you're going to get these divisions and nobody, I, I think everybody's missing the total story of what's actually going on. Okay, great. Um, did you want to now turn this around? You guys wanted to ask us some questions, Grant? Yeah, well, let's, let's go a little bit um, with um, your, your latest documentary, what, what you've got in the, the, the T is this a TV series that you've got? Cause uh, Mark was mentioning there, you, you can break this up into many segments and how has the reaction been in terms of what you've gotten? Sure. Mark, do you want to answer that? Well, I actually already did that. So there's okay. That's where my internet was on the fritz and I wasn't part of that. Eh? Okay. So from my point of view, I know we've got the one doc that's an hour and a half long. And that's posted on the Sci-Fi Channel. Um, depending on where you live in the world, you can watch that. Now, they've mislabeled a little bit. They're calling it episode one. But it is the doc. It's the full doc. And what they've also done, too, is Mark has expanded that material. So it really is the doc, but he's expanded the doc. And there's four 45-minute segments. There's ones entitled North America. Mark, there's the other three. And sci-fi are releasing those. So they're calling the first one of that um, episode two, but it's really one of the four parts okay. that are 45 minutes a piece. We've got a lot more material. It gets into a lot more depth, but the doc that you see in the YouTube on the sci-fi is all of that material just condensed down a grant. And depending on where you live in the world, um, they're, they're opening this up over time, over the next few weeks. I mean, anybody can go in with a VPN connection and watch it from anywhere in the world if they want. But um, the distributor has worked with different channels and have given them different areas. So they're opening it up over the next few weeks according to whatever agreements that they've made with the distributor. And so what, what kind of material, how are the segments broken apart? Are we talking UFO sighting material or contact material or what are we talking about i'll let mark talk to that but i believe it's by location isn't it mark it's definitely by location it's like every um every segment kind of shows the progress you know along the timeline as far as every country we'd go to would have its own set of stories you know would have its own set of experiences um but at the same time you don't necessarily have to watch them in order to have a full understanding of the man, you know, on one man's journey and going going through the world and and meeting different people, learning as he moves along the line. Um, as Rob mentioned, we've been to 14 countries, so there's considerable 
work that we've done with, I think we're, you know, like eight to 10 experts, Ricardo Gonzalez, Sixto Paz Wells, Erling, Professor Erling Strand, you know, now we're including Grant Cameron in the mix, you know, all the different people that we've had, um, that we've had experiences with, whether it be in Canada, whether it be in the US, whether it be throughout Europe, Peru, Australia, um, South America. So it's just, it's, it, I kind of look at it as an anthology series. It's kind of anthology style. You know, each, each two years representing a volume of material and 2015-16 is volume one, and then 2017-18 will be volume two, and then 19-20 volume, you know, so it goes from there. So it's a mixed bag, though, Grant, of everything, you know, as far as um, Rob's personal experiences, the group's personal experiences, all kinds of anomalies and eye strangeness pervade throughout all the material, you know, different things that we experience. It's not a UFO hunter show, so there's there is sighting footage. I mean, there is footage, but again, very interpretive, very, we always put a question mark on anything that we see. We never call it one thing or put it in a box. Um, so it's equal parts travel, history, and mystery. I mean, that's really what it is. It gives people a chance from Rob's point of view, it kind of becomes their point of view and they can take the experiences and take it from there. Yeah, and Mark, you've got more uh, pieces that are coming out. Like, is it true that there's four that are appearing on sci-fi and that really is the doc, it's just expanded, but you've got more docs coming out, right? Then since 1516, again, we've been to Easter Island and Brazil and you know, we've also um, gone back to Norway and Joshua Tree. We consider Joshua Tree to be the, the Woodstock of, of uh, ufology because it had so many people from all over the world converge on Joshua Tree. Um, and, you know, continuing through going to Peru with Ricardo Gonzalez. Um, so, gosh, I think there's probably at least eight to 12 more segments. You know, this is the testing ground. You know, do we have an audience? Over 13,000 people have watched that first documentary, and that's quite a quite a sizable amount of people watching a program that's very alternative. Like it's an alternative thing. It's like I mentioned to you, Grant and Desta. It's it's not conspiracy driven. It's not dark. You know, it's 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 not fear based. It's it's um it's an authentic experience, basically. I mean, it's an authentic experience. We take the filter off and what you see is is what we that if no occur in front of us and i guess the big difference grant is that it's in real time like these are the experiences that we're having now and having with other experiences like yourselves for example when we came out to see you guys in winnipeg yeah. so that material will be in the documentary because so many people have said you know in the film industry about ufos it's all historical like a lot of people are just regurgitating the same old, same yeah. old, you know, Roswell and Rendlesham and all these famous old things. People are saying, well, what is happening now? Can somebody not tell us what's happening now? So we're out there in the field, in the here and now, and we're with experiencers. We're, you know, we'll interview them, ask them uh, about different things. And then we'll go out in the field with them and try to experience, try to, see things, try to film it. So we're trying to then bring that into a documentary and Mark's doing a pretty good job. So it, it is what's happening 
currently out there in ufology and ce5 and all these different um crazy things that are happening it, it is what's happening in the here and now so that's kind of what makes it a little bit different than a lot of the stuff that you'll see in the media is it is brand new stuff you know whether it's the squamish orb the that we saw the Cusco craft you know some of this crazy stuff that we're having happening like the reports with the check and the voucher um you know the little earthquake that mark had in his room only in peru where the floor you know cracked and kind of went up like that and everybody else was busy sleeping away you know? <laughs> <laughs> and he comes into my room with eyes like that like what's going on i was expecting to go into his room and find the floor gone <laughs> you know be careful when you open the door but uh we're trying to document this because people do want to know, like if people, if we get, if people say, well, if we get involved, what are we going to, what are the kinds of things that are going to happen? What are we going to see? So in some ways it's an education to bring people up to speed with current, current events and what's happening in ufology. Wow. And, and you just came back from where? Uh, well, the last thing we had was, uh, you know, we've been in the pandemic. So, Mark, what was the very last thing we did? Good one would have been the time we spent with uh, Dustin and Grant. Yeah, it really was. And then, you know, everybody got kind of locked down. But we're heading to Algonquin Park okay. in just a couple of weeks. And we've got uh, nine people with us for that one. We've got experiencers. We've got abductees. Yeah. We've got... Uh, uh, even Chris, you know, my friend who can light bulbs in his hand, he's coming yeah, with yeah. us. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And going to get him to demonstrate that right in front of my eyes, not just over yeah. Skype or Zoom. I want to see it in real, in the real. Um, and as you know, you know, Algonquin Park's got all kinds of stories. There's, um, uh, uh, you know, even uh, Sixto Paz Wells, his uh, uh, sister there has has been in Algonquin Park and had experiences. So, and then considering the anomalies that Mark had on his phone, everything's leading to Algonquin Park right now. So we're kind of waiting if there's anybody in our group that's getting messages, you know, in their dreams, if we're gonna get led specifically to a specific event that happens so much of the time with this phenomenon. You know, so we're keeping an open mind to that. It's a, it's a four night thing. So, you know, Mark will be there with his camera running, just kind of looking over everybody's shoulder. And we hope to get involved in real time to experience, to have uh, events happen, hopefully make contact. And we'll document what we can. You know, if they let us document it, great. If they don't, well, we still want to experience it. Wow. You, you, you mentioned the one. I, I actually did another thing um you were good enough to take us out to the Falcon Lake sighting, which people are, really didn't really get regurgitated. That was the, the, probably the biggest story ever, ever happened in Canada. Mm -hmm. And I think they said, what, 100 people have been on the site. We were on there. We went in by horseback. Maybe you can mention that because I've actually tied it into the nukes. My story involves the nukes. And I found out that that story happened just after the, um, the shutdown at... Um, Malstrom Air Force Base where they shut down the uh, 10 weapons and just before the Russians were going to take out the nuclear nuclear uh, plant, the Demona plant in Israel started the six day war that all happened at the same time. In fact, they had an overflight of a, 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 um, a MiG-25 
almost the same day as the the the, the Falcon Lake. And that's where I see things different, like in terms of Falcon Lake. What did the what did the thing at Falcon Lake do? Didn't do nothing. Just landed, opened the door, and he's looking, and then and then it gets a bizarre burn. Not just a burn, it gets this bizarre burn. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where, where it keeps coming back. So it's it's this theory of wild thing. They weren't doing anything. They just landed. They it was almost like it was planned. Okay, now you come up, look in the window here, and and then we're gonna close the door and you're gonna get burned, and and everybody's gonna hear this story. So maybe talk a little bit about that. Is that in, in one of these segments that you've done now, this Falcon Lake thing? Because you actually got the guy that, that that talked about it. We were on the site. Yeah, Mark, that'll be coming out um, down the road, I guess. Yeah, it'll be all part of our 2019-20. Okay. 19 being South America and 20 being North America because we made trips to British Columbia, two trips, plus our trip to you. But yeah, it's an amazing piece that, again, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, an incredible encounter experience that he had that not a lot of people know about. I mean, it's online, but it's Canada's, I don't know, I would say it's the most infamous uh, UFO experience. Yeah. yeah, very, very physical, a lot of physical evidence, Mayo Clinic records, and, you know, his whole life was haunted with this burn that kept coming back and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, and, and the, the question about CE5, so how many of the CE5 groups, and have you gotten into the CE6 thing with the radios yet, with uh where they're using their radios and stuff like that. There's, there seems to be a lot of people working on different modalities. Like I mentioned this one, George Knapp interviews, these three guys who are using this different protocol. So how many of you been with Greer? How many different C5 uh, types of groups have you been with? And, and what kind of success do you think that they have in terms of what you've seen being with them? Well, I can say that we've experienced most of these things. Uh, for me personally, you know, I mean, I've already got so much high tech stuff, Grant, that you can go, you can sometimes go too far. Like some of the stuff, we've got radios and everything, we've used them also, but I find that sometimes we can get too scattered with all this stuff. Um, that in a real sense, you can take all this technology and just leave it home, just park it. Okay. And which sometimes means you can actually have a better experience doing that we had that happen in australia with that that green orb um marcus we've had that happen a few other times so we have gotten involved with that grant with the radios and we've had some neat success success but it's like too much technology uh, you know some half the okay. time we just take all the stuff and just leave it home and that, then, that leads to the question that people bring up is the fact that are they allowing you to film and the whole idea that the person will say first time I didn't have my camera and the thing showed up and it's almost like they come on when you don't have your camera because they, they it's this plausible deniability thing that I think where they're they they want you to wonder but then if they wanted to give you the evidence they would land on the White House lawn they're doing this sort of half and half thing where they want yeah, you to keep it's wondering true. it's true the people get more they get better experiences when the camera was shut off in their pocket because a lot of people say well how come there's no no video evidence or not much well, it seems like they give you the stuff when they know you can't film it. Yeah, or they stop it, like at Skinwalker Ranch, where they where they have the one cameras facing the other camera on these two poles, and they they the event happens and they go to the other camera and it's ripped all the wires down. And then one guy, one of the skeptics, said, "Well, why didn't they why did why didn't they protect the cables?" And it's like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> like, I mean, it's like talk about Monday morning quarterbacking. You know, why didn't they protect the cables? And that's the kind of thing you see where when they when they don't want you to film 
or they remember they used to do that with the uh, abductees. They'd say, we'll put a, ca a camera in the, hide it in the, uh, the alarm clock beside the bed. And then the person gets up and turns the camera off and the abduction takes place and then they go turn the camera back on and go back to bed. <laughs> it's, that's yeah. the whole thing. They, who's running the show here? And it's like, so you've had a lot of technical stuff. And so you, you admit that this, sometimes this probably is, may actually be a disadvantage having all this stuff well, up. There. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, a lot of people say, oh, I give my eye teeth to have all the equipment you have. Well, I'm at the point where half of the time we just leave it at home. Because a lot of the time, Grant, that does not give you a better advantage. Yeah. You have more advantage if you can just put all the high-tech equipment away and just connect on these deeper levels. Even as you say, some of these more trance-like levels, you'll have a much better experience. I mean, you know, in, in terms of them allowing you to get something, with Damien Knott on the, uh, the mezzanine there outside on the, the deck in at that uh, conference in Australia, I, he looked through the thermal. I wasn't seeing anything. And I said, why don't you look through and see if you can see something, Damien? Honest to God, he looks through and he sees a classic saucer-shaped object with a dome on it. And he says, I've got one. I've got one. He described it. I thought he was putting me on. I said, let me see. I looked through and there it is. Okay, now I was recording. Yet when we played it back, the video was all snow. Mark's got all this on film. He documented the whole event. And Kelly, who was with us, you know, I have that uh, tube on the WMD so that it's just an open tube and it, it aims at a very small point of the sky. And whatever you're pointing that at is what you'll see in all the other cameras, including the telescopic. Kelly, with her visible camera, was aimed right down that tube. And so what we saw in the thermal, if it was visible to the eye, it should have been caught on her camera. She saw nothing. Now we got two witnesses. Damien saw the saucer shape with the dome on the thermal. When he handed it to me, I saw it. But yet the visible camera got nothing. And the recorder, we got the full audio, but the video was snow. So it's like they give you a lot of stuff when they know you can't record it. If you try to record it, maybe they'll give it to you so you can experience, but they're gonna delete your recording. They're going to, you know, it's like the old videotapes. If you pass a magnet over it, it just kills the videotape. Yeah, yeah. So it's like they're passing a magnet over my recording. They left the audio, but no video. Let so, me ask Mark, because Mark, Mark, you're the producer. Did you play that up? Because that seems to be the, the part that we all know is this trickster thing where it's a big part of the story where you, these weird things are happening. It's not just you're out there seeing stuff. It's you're interacting like you're part of this game and they're playing tricks with the cameras and draining batteries. Is that you play that up when you produce? You know, we never cue the dramatic music, but you, you, you literally have an authentic moment where like, I'll never forget Australia. It's a great example because the look of, of, of I don't want to say depression, <laughs> but the look of, like, Really, like Rob saw it. So when he's in the in the documentary, um, and he's telling that story to the camera, you know, he's sitting on a couch and he's saying, "I, you know," but he ends it with, "I know what I saw," yeah. and that's it. You can't take that away from him. And I had a lot of people, even in the uh, UFO world, say, "Don't put that in the documentary. Like, it looks like you know, you didn't get anything." Yeah, yeah. It's 
same thing. But that's part of the phenomena, it's, Grant. That's a, a big, big part. Huge part of it. Yeah. It's we, huge. We learned that in Australia. It's like that was the first time. I know that that was the first time, 2017. That was the very first time that that happened, where it was like, oh, they can do that. Like, they, they choose to do that. If they choose to deny you of that moment visually, that is part of the, like Rob said, that is part of the experience. Understanding that I've had my audio kicked out on my camera as a guy, as Damien was talking to me about technical things that can happen. I've never lost channel of audio before on my camera. Suddenly, as he's telling me something about camera anomalies, he literally starts to talk about camera anomalies in the interview and it kicks the audio out. <laughs> I'm like, oh, come on. You know, like really, like you can't deny those moments. Like, push yeah. it out of your mind because we've had people, skeptics, that's fine, everyone's entitled. You have the skeptics say, Oh man, you know, like your audio channel just went out. I mean, that's all. And I'm like, yeah, but if you contextually put it in front of you, you look at the entire context, where you are, what your intention is, what you're looking to do, and something like that happens, you know, you just know. Well, and Mark, how many times have all the batteries gone out on everybody's equipment? Like all the iPhones go dead, all the cameras go dead. I mean, just we have when there's something happening. I mean, oh yeah, people will say, oh, well, that was just a coincidence. Yeah, yeah right, yeah. all the iPhones going off at one time. Like, yeah. and, and, you know, a few minutes later, they all come back up with their battery up to wherever the person was, 80%, 90%, 100. But they were all reading zero. You know, just like what happened in Las Vegas, in uh, Lachlan at the conference there. Yeah. Uh, with the the camera group the 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 people from uh, los angeles they had their cameramen there and they were filming and we were just the two the one fellow and i were talking about what happens on these expeditions to your camera equipment yeah their cameras all failed right when we were talking about that yeah. so and we, yeah. we got that all live well that that's the kind of stuff i think is interesting you'll see skinwalker ranch plays that up every week every week they're going how did that happen? Oh, I've never seen that before. So there's just like this mystery, mystery. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people maybe in the the, the uh, general public don't realize is this bizarre aspect. It's not just flying saucers flying around. It's all this weird stuff that goes with it that makes you just scratch your head. And a question, and now another question, you've, you've dealt with a lot of um, people who can bring them in. So you dealt with Sixto Paz, Ricardo Gonzalez, um, do these people, are these people able to bring this stuff in? Like Stephen Gers, you know, charging money. And and so is do these people have the ability to bring them in or is like the camera? Would you, you know, be just better off without them? Well, part of it, I think, is these people themselves are getting the group into a mindset. Okay. And it's the group that bring them in. Oh, yeah. Like, it's not necessarily the person that says they can bring them in, yeah. whether it's Greer whether it's Sexto, whether it's some of these other people, it seems that they're just a facilitator. I'm not saying in all cases, Grant, yeah. I'm saying what we've seen in a large number of cases, they're just a facilitator, not just, but they are a facilitator who, who gets group harmony going and gets people into the same wavelength, into the same mindset, into the same, you know, Greer will throw around terms like cohesiveness, yeah. but 
they get people into the same in the same harmonic, the same mindset, and then the things show up. Yeah. Now, some of the people who are more ego based, I won't mention any names, they think it's themselves. Yeah. Okay. But the more humble people really believe that it is the group that they're really acting as a messenger, a facilitator, a teacher, uh, somebody that can just bring the group together. Yeah. And I think we, we see things happening more when that kind of dynamic happens. Yeah. Desta did mention that before where Ricardo, sometimes he'll say nothing's going to happen because you can see that people just, they're not, they're not, they're not in cohesion. They're not together. And I know, I know it's the same thing. I don't know why they don't stop that, but you'll go to these sky watches and everybody's supposed to be oming or meditating and there's lasers are going around. It's like, what are you guys doing? Like, it's like, they're, they're not even part of it. They're just just there for a good time or to shoot lasers and stuff in the sky. And and everybody's supposed to be meditating. And and unless you do that, that mental part and raise the vibration, nothing's going to happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We were at the East Eddy Ranch, right, Grant? Oh, wow. That was James. And, and every, that's what everyone was doing. Everyone was just like, power up, power up and screaming and clapping and like yelling. And um, that yeah. one radio broadcaster guy was talking. He didn't, yeah, he didn't ever shut up. Holy. <laughs> yeah. We had to like leave the group and we went by a bunch of trees or something. Cause it was like, people were driving us crazy, but they were, yeah. Wouldn't stop talking. And it wasn't about a meditation or anything, but. Um, well, and for some people it's, it's a profound experience. Where sometimes you just want to have some quietness and contemplative thought. And in some of these uh, sessions, it's a whole huge circus. It's a, <laughs> it's just a total cluster, you know what. <laughs> but um, I think if you can get the group into a, you know, a, a good a meditative state, a good contemplative state, good cohesion, good feelings, good thought then the chances of having some great experiences really increases for sure. Yeah, the mental aspect I think is important. Uh, that's all I really have for questions, but um, Desta, have you got any questions you wanna ask? I just wanted to hear how you guys uh, break up them. I know you said that there's a North America and a South America and there's the Peru one. So I've seen a lot of the stuff that you guys did with Costa and with Ricardo and different snips of things you did, but how do you end up, and I'm sorry, I missed a couple minutes of it earlier, but how do you break up everything um, that's gonna be released like publicly to Tubi or, or to the Sci-Fi channel? It's really country to country, Desta, like it is. It's kind of like every country, we have a 50% agenda of who we wanna be with, experts, experiencers, and 50% is wide open, whatever we experience, we experience, but it's basically country to country. Good. So where else now that the pandemic is coming to a kind of close, um, where else do you guys have like long-term um, places that you want to go like next year or once things open up a little bit more at the end of this year after Algonquin? Yeah, there's, there's really a couple aspects to it, Desta. One is, you know, Mark is in touch with a lot of people around the world. And so we do get together with uh, experiencers where they're having, you know, both the location where things are happening and where there's experiences there that are having things happen with them. And we try to assess it. And if we feel the chances are good that we're going to have things happen while we're out there, 
we'll put an expedition together and organize that for months ahead of time. Okay, that's Algonquin, for example. The second part of this is we want to be able to be ready to go on a moment's notice. In other words, if all of a sudden, whether it's you guys letting us know that there's a flap happening, we call it a flappening. Say that all of a sudden, <laughs> say all of a sudden in Manitoba, you had a new Charlie Red Star. And Grant calls us up and says, Rob and Mark, you guys have got to come out here. For the last two nights now, we've had this phenomenon happening. We can be there the next day. Okay, if we can prove that this is legitimate, because we have had experiences where people thought stuff was happening and it's just planes. And we spent a lot of money and time and went places. Now, we did have experiences happen despite all of that. Uh, we had orbs going by in the backyard, like ones that you could actually see with your eyes. But if we have where we're hearing that there's an honest to goodness flap that has just started up, then we can bring all the WMD equipment. We can be there the next day. I, Mark and I will talk, have a discussion if it's legitimate, if we have you know, more than one person that's seeing it and experiencing it, because people can make up stuff as we know as well. But if we can, if we feel strongly that it's legit and it's at least two people that are collaborating this or backing it up, then Mark will get busy and organize flights and uh, I can do the rental car. Uh, we can, I'll get the equipment together. It's actually ready to go. And we'll be out the door with our suitcase. Heck, we could even leave that very same day and hopefully we'll be right in the middle of the action. So if you guys ever hear of anything that's starting up where it looks like there's a trend happening, boom, we can be out there very, very fast. So you, let me ask you a question. You've spent a lot of money. You've traveled around the world. You've chased this thing. Um, you had a sighting as a young boy, which is pretty dramatic. Um, okay, I, the question I asked the second night I saw it, what the hell is going on? Let me ask you a question. What's really going on here? Well, you know, I guess we're just starting into Jacques Vallée's books oh, and you. really liking the stuff that he's saying. It seems that this phenomenon really is different than, you know, what we know to be true and what we see in a physical sense here. Like for a lot of people, it's all about physical craft. And as soon as you get into anything else about it, the average person is kind of, out of here. They don't want to hear any more about it. But the truth is, Grant, I believe personally that it is interdimensional. Um, I believe that it, it may very well be that it really is part of our world here, but on another plane. In other words, it's been here with us as long as we've been here, maybe long before. And it's just that on our level of experiencing, we can't always connect with it. Like when we look out with our physical eyes outside, we just don't see it. I mean, we look outside with our eyes, we can't see the infrared or the ultraviolet, doesn't mean it's not there, right? So with our limited physical nature, we're not really seeing it. But when we get into some of these other levels, whether it's the blindfold seeing that I'm doing, or you know, all these modalities that you guys are talking about and Desta, you were involved in that you've researched and put together, you start being able to connect with this. So. Yeah, it's lights in the sky that got us involved, but you know, 75, 85, maybe 90% of the phenomenon is really all on these other levels. And you know, it's, can we even ever fully understand it? You know, it's kind of like the animals in the zoo trying to understand 
the people running the zoo. You know, the people running the zoo can understand the animals and what's going on. But as far as the animal is concerned, it's got this environment that it feels it's, it's his environment. It doesn't know that it's being watched and it's being controlled by the zookeeper. Yeah. You know, it's kind of the same way in this. So I don't have any answers. All I really want to do is experience. And all I can really talk about and know for sure is what we've experienced. And that's what Marcus and I are doing. We're truly getting out there and trying to experience all this stuff that people talk about in all these interviews. And we've experienced a lot, but we don't want to just hear the interviews. We want to get out there and experience ourselves. And if we, if we can document it, great. If we can't, but we're still allowed to have the experience and that's great, that's even better. For us, the most important thing is to experience it. And then we know what we can believe from what we've truly experienced. And will I have any more answers as they get more experience? I don't know. It seems there's more questions that get raised oh, wow. with every single thing you get experienced, Grant. You, you mentioned the thing about the checks and you've mentioned today the Algonquin thing and the synchronicities and stuff like that. So the question for both of you are, are you being led? I mean, how did you guys get together? I mean, are you there to be doing a job and you follow the, the breadcrumbs as, as they fall to you and, and watch clues and hints? And uh, are you on a mission? I guess would well, be the question. that's a really good question. You know, in our little pea brains, <laughs> we, we, you know, think that we're organizing all this stuff. Well, but when everything happens and the dust settles, it really gives us the impression that we have been led. We, we might think that we're the ones organizing all this and all these coincidences and serendipitous things are just happening. But when we stand back and see where we're being almost guided through, uh, we get the impression that we are being led. Mark, do you want to? I remember we didn't, really, we didn't, each year kind of opens up more, but even when we went to Peru the first time, end of 2016, we spent a lot of time um, with a gentleman from Mission Rum, Amadeo. And Amadeo said to us at the first hour of the first day, look for the signs. Mm -hmm. We didn't really know what to think of that. You know what I mean? We were really young in it and we didn't know. We couldn't really explore consciousness much. We met Sixco Paswells on that trip. We didn't really, we didn't invest as much into it as we do now. Now we're always on the lookout for the signs. You said something earlier, Grant, that I really liked about the puzzle. You know, what's the puzzle? And you know, you really think you know what the puzzle is, and the puzzle isn't the puzzle. And that's kind of feels like we're at that stage now with all of this, where we've transcended past the equipment, and you know, the, the you know, it's a novelty now. It's of course, it's attractive, it's big, it's, it's you know, it, it brings tons of people over to talk and get dialogue going. But this is about, you know. I personally, I think Rob would agree, it's, it really is about consciousness. It really is about opening your mind, opening your heart. You know, the biggest experiences that we've had over the last six years didn't involve equipment. You know, we've been in the beaches of Yaya, we've been in the rainforest of Australia with no equipment and have had those orbs show up. I've had things come while the cameras turn the other way in British Columbia, like a year ago, we had an orb appear 30 feet away from us, like a boss, like a like a like a magnesium white orb. Camera's pointed the other way. That tells me something. I think it tells Rob something. 
we, there is no plan, you know, there is no trajectory other than we're following our instincts. We'll continue to follow our instincts. Just let it take over, you know? And so when we ask her, do we have a mission? Absolutely, we have a mission. Mission has never been any different than if they have a message for us, they'll give us that message and they'll choose the time, they'll choose the date, they'll make that happen. And we're going to stay on that path of, you know, and if that message is something we receive that we're supposed to give, great. If we're supposed to record it, great. If we're not allowed to record anything and all the batteries die or there's no cameras to be seen, great. And Grant, whatever message they have for us and want us to share, we will share it with our group. And even the experiences we have, if we're not allowed to document it, you know, unless they wipe our memory, we're going to put it into the documentary, at least on a person to person basis, you know, discussing it on camera. We, we won't hold anything back. Like I learned in the game early that whatever you experience, talk about, do not hide anything. We don't want men in black coming to our door, threatening us not to say stuff. If we've already said it and we already get it out there, it takes the wind out of their sails. Sorry, but it's already out there, right? So, yeah. yeah, we're doing the we're doing the book thing and you're doing the documentary thing. It's it's different, different medium and you're reaching people and you probably feel honored that you got to play the game rather than, you know, being in a top executive position where you're working 18 hours a day and and stressed out and stuff like that, where it's a it's to me, it's one of the most fascinating stories. One more question and then I, I'm done. Um, we, you asked me about the UAP task force. I mean, have you followed this? Have you uh, uh, reached out to do interviews with uh, Elizondo or any of the big players? And are you going to try to get involved in this to see if there's any answers going down that road? Yes. Now, as you know, we didn't do interviews like that in the past. This has really come about in the last year because of the pandemic. Um, but we've gotten into a really neat thing now of doing interviews. So we will we will be continuing to do interviews but we will be out into the field more as the pandemic winds down. We have, uh, for example, I've reached out to Lou. He has agreed to do an interview with us. It's just scheduling it because, you know, everybody wants Lou on their channel. And I swear that he's talking with somebody every waking hour of the day. So I'm sure that we will reach a date and a time where we will get to talk to Lou about all this stuff. And, uh, you know, we will be talking to others. Our real passion is getting out there with some of these high-level people into the field. I mean, even uh, Jacques Vallée has uh, agreed to our invitation to come out with us in the field. He would be honored and would love to come out with us. And we'd be honored to come out with him in the field. So um, some of these higher-level people, you know, just like yourselves, we want to be out in the field with them. So... Not only do we want to interview them, you know, over Zoom or whatever, we'd like to get with them physically and just go out, rub shoulders with them and be observing, be talking about our experiences, have things happen in real time and to be able to talk about that in the documentary. Wow. Sounds exciting. Desta? Well, and you guys, we love it. We love yeah. it. I, would, I wouldn't rather do anything else. This is what I want to do. And exactly. I, we are doing it. That's what I. That's what I keep saying. It's like the Super Bowl. You got to. We got to play in the Super Bowl. Like, what? What more could you ask for? Absolutely. 
I just have one last question, uh, Rob, for you and about your camera equipment. You know, maybe um, people are always so fascinated by that and I don't know anything about it. So do you want to maybe say, I know there's been um, an evolution in what you started having and then what you've come to or, you know, smaller packs for putting on the flights and stuff like that. Like, what do you use now or what do you suggest to people is the bare minimum or the cheapest or I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, as I look at this one right here, let's see. That there is the thermal. Okay, so that picks up heat images. That's where the saucer with the dome appeared uh, in Australia with Damien Knott on that one. It gives a black and white. And that also caught something, what, over the uh, Irish Sea, Mark? That one? Uh, there's another one over here, over here on somewhere, is the night vision. It's um, zoom night vision like 10 times. So that's the one that caught the Squamish orb. And then uh, the, the cameras I've got now is actually more elaborate than this one. This was from 2017, Mark. Yep. Uh, but there's full spectrum zoom and full spectrum wide angle. There's also night vision wide angle. Uh, there's also visible zoom and wide angle. There's also time lapse. And I'm adding on for our uh, Algonquin trip, two more cameras. Uh, they're just going to be iPhones because, you know, that crazy Cusco craft we got, you know, the bluish purple one that was simply taken with my iPhone, just taking snaps in the night, just at random. We didn't see anything, but it either appeared so fast or because it was ultraviolet, our eyes didn't see it. So I'm going to have uh, two, two iPhones, you know, since I caught it with an iPhone, I'm going to put an iPhone on the rack and I'm going to have it shoot um, shoot a picture every second for the whole night and it'll stay open for a quarter of a second just like that did when I happened to get the Cusco craft it was just a one you know when you snap a picture at night with an iPhone it'll hold the shutter open for a quarter second so since it was successful I'm going to let it keep doing that all night long every second and then when you stop it renders it into a video so we just scroll through the video for the five or the eight hours, whatever it is. So that one will be on the WMD rack, like this rack right here. And then, you know, as you know, uh, we had the other still cameras, uh, and that is infrared and visible that are just doing time-lapse photography. I will also put a second iPhone there, and that just sits in one spot, wide angle, getting, you know, a large part of the sky. I'll also put an iPhone there doing one quarter second shots every second for the whole night. So that's kind of everything in a nutshell on the cameras. But I will emphasize too that we generally go 50% of the time. So half of the nights on an expedition, we leave the cameras at home because that's when I get really excited. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but so much of the time when I actually let go of all this high-tech stuff and I love the high-tech stuff, but I've learned to just walk away from it. Like, you know, as a police officer says, step away from the vehicle, sir. So I just leave everything. And that's when the crazy stuff happens. So as much as I love all this high tech stuff and I can't keep my brain away from it, you know, thinking about what I can add next, like now I'm going to add those two iPhones and I'm all excited about that. But the truth is, it's probably the nights where we leave the stuff at home that the real stuff will happen. So literally we're covered both ways. 
you know, we got the high-tech equipment, if that's what it's going to take. We also just have ourselves and our intuition and connecting on these deeper levels, if that's what it takes. So we believe that with those two things, we're covered. I don't know what else to do to make contact, Destin. One of the things that is occurring to me now that everybody's probably saying, yeah, but have you seen an alien? So either have you seen an alien, had an alien around you or tell, tell that story? Because I'm sure everybody's wondering, well, you got photos, but did you actually see an alien? Yeah, well, I think we've mentioned the story before about the guy in Australia. Did he tell you that story? Yeah, so we were, we were at the, um, not far from Uluru, like Ayers Rock in the middle of Australia. You know, it's that orange monolith rock yeah. in the middle. And Mark and Liz had been out filming during the day getting B-roll. They were tired that night and said, well, we're just going to pack it in early. So Lauren, Kurth, and myself, since we'd slept in that morning while Mark and Liz were out getting B-roll, yeah. we're raring to go and to stay up all night. So I got all that, you know, all this equipment together and more. And we drove, oh, about 30 minutes away from the resort. I mean, it's the only resort there is for 800 miles, probably. It's in the middle. And we were, we, you know, go down this road and it's straight for probably 100 miles or more. And it's the desert. It's the outback. So it's all flat and you can drive off the road anywhere and go for miles. Like, I mean, it's all hard pack, gravelly type material but you will see bushes and little trees here and there. So we drove off the road looking for a hiding spot. Since we're in the middle of nowhere, we didn't want to be anywhere that could raise attention if there was somebody out there that's, you know, wants to do something, wants to take do harm to us because we're kind of like sitting ducks. So we went off the road in this one spot where we saw a few trees and bushes where we felt we could go behind them and just hide and it was about 300 feet off the road and Lauren and I figured okay in this spot with the car and with the equipment you cannot see us from the highway we feel safe so we had the stuff all set up and you know we were just getting a lot of mundane objects and things that you know we've seen a lot of times before that a lot of it can be explained you know it's these rotating satellite uh, these rockets rotating rocket bodies that come on and go off and you know sometimes little flashes where it's turning and he just catches the sun real quickly things like that got a lot of that stuff but about one o'clock in the morning as I was kind of you know went out from our spot I could see a car on the highway and the guy was slowing down and I thought or whoever it was and I thought oh my god I hope he's not going to come into where we are okay and lo and behold, this car comes all the way in, all the way down this little spot we had found right to where we were, within 20 or 30 feet of us. Now, Lauren's getting nervous. I'm a little bit nervous. And the first thing she thought was put the expensive equipment away. So I quickly dismantled a little bit and put some of the more expensive cameras in the trunk and locked it. And this guy was in his car. He had the dome light on, then it would go out, then it would go on. And I'm super curious. Like, I wasn't afraid. It was just curiosity. I thought, this person, we're in the middle of Australia, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles from anything. 
And this car, I think it was only one of three cars we'd seen on the highway all night. And, and the car comes right to where we were. We just, I just thought it was strange. I thought, I can't believe this is a coincidence. This is too coincidental for me to be a coincidence. And um, Lauren was questioning about me wanting to go talk to him. And I said, well, she says, well, what happens if he wants to do harm? He has a, a, a knife or something. And I said, well, I've got my high powered laser. He's going to get it in the eyes if he, you know, comes at me. And she says, well, what if he's got a gun? And I says, well, I'll invite him to take all our equipment, you know, if he's got a gun. So I said, I'm going to go over and talk to him. She said, don't you dare. I said, I'm going. And she says, okay, I'll go with you then. And he got out of the car. And at that point on, nothing made sense. Like this guy was just like your classic uh, being that they say live among us, you know, um, looking Nordic, handsome, tall. And this guy said that he'd driven something like 18 hours that he's just going home for the weekend. And I thought, well, I don't know anybody that drives 18 hours to go home for the weekend. Right. And then he had another 12 or 18 hours to go. And I thought, that's not true. That can't be true. You know, and I looked at him and I heard the way he was talking, Grant. It was even now I'm animated because I'm reliving the story and my inflections are going up and down and you can feel some depth to my story. He wasn't like that when he talked. It was it wasn't robotic, but it was very, very muted with with any kind of emotion or inflection and any kind of emotion or inflection there was seemed to be fake. It seemed to be artificial or acted. It didn't seem real. I couldn't feel it. Okay. Like we automatically emote with people we're engaged with in a conversation. It's a natural thing that human beings do. I didn't feel that with him. And um, all the things he was talking about, he, he said he worked in the mines, yet the, the clothes he was wearing looked like they just either came out of the top dresser drawer, clean and pressed, or he had just bought them. They didn't seem, I, I didn't see any dirt on them. For somebody that had driven 18 hours, where's the five o'clock shadow or the 10 o'clock shadow or the, you know, 1 a.m. shadow, whatever. There was no shadow. It's like this guy just shaved or maybe he doesn't even have a beard. I don't know. But there was nothing about it that seemed logical or that made sense. Nothing. And so we engaged with him and I says, but why did you pick this spot? to pull over and he says well i want i'm gonna go sky watching i have sky watching by yourself like at that point i said to myself is this guy reading my mind or what right and then i started i got a little flash in my head that says rob do you think this guy might be an et and i'm starting to think oh my god this is the reason why none of this makes sense. This guy might be an ET, right? And just as I said that, um, you know, Lauren was, Lauren was also talking. And uh, the guy said, well, if you'd rather I go somewhere else to Skywatch. And before I could even open my mouth, Lauren said, well, that would be very kind of you. 
And I thought, my God, Lauren hasn't clued yet that this guy might be an ET. And so he said goodbye and he got in his car and drove off. And I said, Lauren, I says, I think this guy is an ET. And I, she says, why do you say that? I said, just think about everything that happened here. None of it makes sense. And she says, oh my God, you might be right. She says, yeah. And so um, we, we stayed out there. So we think we sent away an ET grant. You know, we'll never <laughs> live that down. We'll never live it down. So anyway, we stayed out till about five in the morning when the sun started coming up and we put the equipment away and we headed back into where the resort was and it's half an hour away. And we were, I was driving and I was waiting for the vehicle to go by so that I could turn down to the resort. And as the vehicle went by and I wasn't looking at the vehicle itself, I was noticing a vehicle and then I thought, okay, now I'll turn. And I just started to turn and Lauren says, Rob, did you see who was driving that vehicle? I said, no. She said, that was our guy from last night. Now, this was the first car we met since we saw him at 1 a.m. earlier on. Like This was something like 6 o'clock in the morning, so five hours later, and it's the only other car we saw, and now he's going the other way, almost back to where we were. So the second she said that that was our guy, instead of turning down the road, I just kept the wheel turned and just turned all the way around. But Grant, the bizarre thing was, and that only took maybe what? not even a second and a half, two seconds, no vehicle. There was no vehicle. And I'm saying, Lauren, where did the guy go? Like, and, but there's nowhere else to go. There was only the road down to the resort and the road all the way through the outback to where we were. So I just put my foot to the floor and I mean, there's nobody around and you know, nobody to give you a ticket, I guess. I won't say how fast I was going, but (laughs) we did get back to the site in 15 minutes instead of 30. So, and the whole way along the way, all the way to where we got back, like where we were the night before, never saw another vehicle. We never saw him. We went back and we walked around and we looked behind little bushes everywhere. Nothing, Wow. nothing, nothing, nothing. Now a year ago, I was um, talking to this fella from, um, Serbia. And it was about the blind, uh, blindfold stuff. Okay. Okay. Now he had no idea that I was involved in documentaries and traveling the world. He contacted me because he saw the blindfold stuff, the channel on blindfold scene. Okay. So no idea about my background or nothing. Oh, and we were talking about that. It was over Skype and we were talking back and forth. All of a sudden he stopped And he said, Rob, I'm getting a psychic flash. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he says, I'm a little bit psychic and I'm getting a very strong flash. I said, what do you mean? He says, I'm seeing like a vision. He says, you and another woman were in Australia and I see a third person, a man, and he's an ET. And uh, I didn't, I didn't really, you know, we we were there to talk about blindfold seeing and I didn't want to go on. But I'll say, yeah, that's correct. He says, so you don't need to, he says, you don't need to make contact anymore. You already have. 
Wow. And I and I thought to myself, speak for yourself, you know, <laughs> I want to make contact again. So, you know, that was the third thing, Grant. So there was the actual event itself and all the bizarre things that happened. You know, and unfortunately, we sent him away. We think that, you know, Lauren was nervous because she's got this guest, me from Canada and all this equipment. She was nervous for me. And so she was putting out, we think she was putting out vibes that the guy wasn't kind of welcome. And we think he picked up on that. And then he was a polite ET and he just left. Okay. But there was three things. There was the event itself. There was the fact that he drove, he, you know, at six o'clock in the morning, we passed him like his car passed as we were turning down the road to the resort. So that was the second thing. But then there was no car. It disappeared, which can be a whole nother thing. But and then the third thing, speaking with this fella who became our friend from uh, Serbia, who out of nowhere said that this guy was an ET. I mean, he didn't know anything about anything as far as what I'm involved in. Now, you know, can you believe that? Well, the skeptics would say, well, maybe he researched you and maybe he saw one of your videos and he wants to impress you or something. You know, I guess that's always possible. It's not probable, but it's always possible. But even if you discount that, we still have our powerful experience and we still have the fact that, you know, this car that I was waiting for him to pass, it disappeared within seconds. Now, these roads in the desert, Grant, you can see the yeah. end of the road when you look, that's probably 15 or 20 miles away. Like yeah. the road is so flat that you can see forever. You know, and there's no turnoffs. Like, where did it go? So that I hope that answers your question. And and so after the fact, we we think he was an ET. I would I would rate it at like, you know, ninety nine percent. Can I can I say for sure? No. Do I think? Yes. Do I feel? Yes. Do I know? Well, ninety nine percent. Wow! Fascinating fascinating story wow i, I never heard you tell that story before that's good I, yeah I, I thought we told you that story before but i guess yeah, not. desta knows it desta listens you heard it desta before <laughs> i i heard it i maybe grant wasn't there but when you guys were here i did hear it yeah yeah men yeah. don't listen <laughs> yeah. so, you know, <laughs> a lot of people have said we should go back to australia that we should go back to that spot and potentially on an anniversary date like, you know, exactly three years later or four years later and just see. You know, or just send out a signal. And if you run into him a fourth time, well, then, you know, for sure that. <laughs> yeah. And I will say, I will say, you know, when we were leaving Australia, not Australia, but when we were leaving that area, there was a very small airport and um, the, uh, the car rental office was right in the airport you know, it's kind of all one big room where they did everything right. It's just a, a very little small village town sort of thing. And the the Australian lady was very friendly when I returned the car. And she said, well, did you folks have a good time? And we were just carrying on a conversation. And she says, well, what were you here for? Holiday? And I said, do you really want to know? <laughs> and I told her. And she says, oh, well, just a minute. I got to get my manager. She had an experience. Wow. 
So her manager was on some retreat with, Mark, remember that story? With something like 10 other ladies, they were camping at the base of Uluru. Okay. Okay. And the park closes at nine. So the gates down the road, you know, far away there, the gates, they close them at nine o'clock at night. So you got to be back in the park and in the campground before nine or you're going to get locked out can't come back in so she said they were just you know enjoying the evening maybe they had a campfire or something and they saw lights on that road and they said to each other like whoever it is they're out of luck they're gonna get they're already locked out and so they saw these lights getting closer and they thought well when they get to the gate they're gonna be disappointed they can't come in and they're watching these two lights grant and as they're watching these lights, they go up. Wow. <laughs> and they're watching them and they go right over to Uluru through the, mo the monolith, yeah. right into the mountain as if it's not even there. Wow. And then go up and then more joined them. And they were doing this whole dance, like almost like a choreographed dance in the sky. Wow. And then they would go back into the rock and come out the front and doing all this stuff. And all the women saw this. She said, Rob, it wasn't just me. It was our whole group saw this whole performance, this whole show. Wow. So she was quite interested in, you know, sharing her stories. And uh, so it turns out that this area is a very, very uh, popular site for seeing things. And, uh, and I guess, you know, even potentially for ET beings. Wow. Fascinating. Wow. So, but we want more. This is the problem. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Yeah, you. It's just the next adventure. The next adventure. Where Where are you going? Are you going to in the, uh, the the park? And have you got any big expeditions around the world that you've got? You want to? Well, I don't know. There was talk of an expedition up to the Northwest Territories. Not sure if that's on. Um, you've talked about Hawaii. We've talked about Chris yeah. Bledsoe. Um, you know, you guys, uh, we'd love to join you guys on some of these things. Um, Mark, we've talked about, um, there's those lights in Scotland, the Aberfoyle lights. This one fella keeps sending us video and he's filming that stuff. Uh, we probably want to get back to Hesselin at some point and see Erling Strand. Um, gosh, what are some of the other places on our list, Mark? set up before covid we had argentina set up we had ecuador bolivia more mission rama getting together with people with again connection to consciousness and going to different areas yeah south america south, south america and in fact uh jacques valet wants to go to peru we want to go to peru again so that may very well be the one where he joins us mm -hmm. um gosh um, you know, there's, there's places over near Indonesia. Uh, there's different places in Europe. People have invited us. So I guess we're trying to prioritize all these places. And we, you know, when the pandemic wasn't on, we'd be somewhere every six weeks, Grant. Wow. And um, uh, so, you know, we kind of want to get back to that again. And we want to we want to do those two things. We will want to get with the people where we've actually organized an expedition. Yeah. And then we want to do the thing where we just 
when there's something happening, ongoing in the here and the now live, we want to get there that night or the next day. So really it's those two kinds of events we're doing. And those are totally in the fly. They're just organized over a few hours and we go. Versus the other ones where we set up months in advance and we have, you know, our interviewees, our, our um, experiencer people all involved. We always still keep at least 50% of it open though. Uh, we've learned our lesson that you can only organize about 50% and then you leave, let the universe or the ETs or yeah. whoever to guide you in the other 50%. We find that's where the stuff really happens uh, because you've kind of allowed the time and space for it. So, And what's, what's the name of the documentary for people who would want to track, try to track this down on? It's um, Making Contact, Be Inspired. I'll put a link in the description, of course. Yeah, and it's it's on the Sci-Fi Channel, Mark. Sorry, can't hear you. Sci-Fi Central. Sci-Fi Central, yeah. And will it be on other channels as time goes on? Uh, definitely, and I can send links to Desta about that as they as it becomes more available. I think they were putting it on Tubi and some other spots. Mm -hmm. So Grant, as you know, once you sign up with a distributor, it's kind of up to the distributor to work all the deals around the world. Yeah. And then we're kind of the last person to find out ourselves. <laughs> do do you know, they ever try to tell you what they want done? Where they are trying to talk you into yep. spicing it up or whatever? Yeah, we had that from the uh, Home and Garden channel, Mark. Travel. Sorry? Travel channel. We had that from the Travel Channel. They were ready to make a deal with us. They sent us a proposal, but when we got into the talks with them, they really wanted it fear-based, yeah. lots of drama. And Mark and I had a heart-to-heart -heart talk and we said, no, that's not authentically what we're experiencing. So we're not gonna do it. And we walked away from a lucrative deal. Yeah. And um, we, we felt honestly, if we, step away from being an authentic grant, probably the experiences we get are gonna be turned off. Good for you. That's what we feel. And uh, yeah, you know, we make all these deals and it goes all over these places, but that'd probably be the end of it. You know, we'll, we'll put together expeditions and then nothing's gonna happen. So we won't do that. We, we, wanna, we wanna feel that the message we're getting across is what you know whoever they is would want us to get out there nothing less and nothing more beautiful okay guess we'll leave it at that and the next time uh, desta gets a book ready we'll have another <laughs> chat with you and we'll go from there or we'll talk to you on uh one of your adventures as you tour around the world it was it was fascinating to be with you we appreciate your involving us especially to get to go when when that guy said there's only been a hundred people on the site of the Falcon Lake thing, then I thought, wow, that's yeah, something. Yeah. I've still got my little rocks, which I'm I'm gonna try to sell for big money. <laughs> yeah, I've got <laughs> mine too. I got mine too. <laughs> I have to say we had a great time with you guys. Yeah, and uh, we wouldn't hesitate for a second to have you guys out on another expedition when mm -hmm. it works out for all of us. For sure. I'd love to. Okay. Nice Thanks to a see lot, you guys. Rob and Mark. Guys. See you okay. guys. All right. Take care. Talk soon. Talk to you later. Bye.
That's this week's episode of the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Cameron, hoping that you will join me for upcoming episodes. Links to my YouTube interviews, books, and my Facebook sites are in the show notes. If you love the podcast or learn something valuable, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, or give a review on today's episode. If you would like a certain paranormal subject dealt with in the future, please let us know. Until next time, watch this space, and thank you so much for listening.